0: Hello. Welcome back to the Valley to Peak Nutrition podcast. This week, I'm joined by... The wife. The return. You were away while. What were you busy doing?
1: Oh, you said... well, we had a baby, so there's there's that.
0: <laughs> yeah, so Lindsay, uh, how, old, how old is he? <laughs> six, six weeks? <laughs> uh, so about six or seven weeks ago, we had our second uh, little boy, Samuel, and... Um anybody that's had a newborn needs no explanation as to why Lindsay hasn't been on here for a little bit. So we are returning again with the Friday FAQs. There's literally 14 pages of these on Instagram, so there still is just so many different topics to cover every week and yeah, sometimes like sometimes there's duplicate questions, but for the most part most of these questions are unique, like we haven't talked about them before. So this week, the question is.
1: What's the difference between white and brown rice? And is there one that is better?
0: Yeah, good question. So I think even before we dive into it, I would be curious what you think the difference is. Or maybe a better question would be, what have you heard is better? And what have you or why are the reasons you've heard it's better?
1: I'll just say I'm asking for a friend and not clarify which of these are my questions and which are things I've heard. Um, Most have said brown rice is healthier. White is not for whatever reason. I never really knew why. I don't know if that's the same as like, oh, whole wheat bread versus white bread. You know, oh, whole wheat is so much healthier. I don't know. Maybe that's why people think that. Um, That was one. Yeah. Besides that, the rice specifically, which one's better? I can't think of one. People tend to lean toward brown rice for whatever reason, myself included, just because I want to seem like I'm being healthy, even though I have no idea why. Also, there was a big push, I don't know if it's recent, but I've heard of it recently, to do away with rice as an ingredient. I know it's um one of the main ingredients in baby cereal, for example, and there is a belief that there's arsenic in it, and whole food companies know this and still promote their product so i know that is a concern on at least a lot of parents minds about whether that's okay that their child is eating arsenic
0: yeah so the general idea is typically that brown rice is better than white though i think one of the most interesting things that you said is exactly what most people say they're like i don't know why i just have always heard that it is so i think I think like before even really answering the question is one better than the other it's good to know a little bit of the history as to why someone would suggest that when you look at white rice and you look at brown rice really the greatest difference between the two is the brown rice contains all of the nutrients and the white rice it's removed kind of now One of the most interesting things about white versus brown rice is that when people hear it's healthier, generally what they are hearing is, and I've only found this out through conversations, especially people uh, with people at the clinic, at the hospital, when I worked there, they typically think it will help me lose weight. It is lower in calories. It is lower in carbohydrate. It is lower in all the things that I need it to be lower in, in order to lose weight it's not, it's identical to white. So even if you like, even if we take away the whole conversation of nutrient from a, just, just calling it healthy by way of saying it's going to aid in weight loss more than white rice because it is lower in something isn't true. They're both the same. Now, the other interesting thing is, is that all of the nutrients that are taken out of brown rice are, for the most part, not all of them, but most of them are added back in, in the processing. Right. So the typical idea is that, yes, it is removed, but it is added back in.
1: Removed in the processing of white rice and added back into white rice?
0: Yeah. So the, so brown rice contains really three different things. The germ, which is the inner layer and has a lot of nutrients. The endosperm, which is the mid layer and typically contains some nutrients and carbs. And then the bran, which is the fiber-filled outer layer. So when white rice is created, a lot of those nutrients are stripped away. And then that fibrous layer is also stripped away. So like if you start reading in maybe like a Harvard blog, for example, and they would be encouraging people to have brown rice, it's known to have, whenever you have higher fiber in the diet, it generally contributes to better overall health, meaning it reduces the risk of chronic disease. So that's typically why it's suggested to have brown versus white.
1: So why in the beginning of white rice did that happen? Why not just leave it with all of these nutrients and whatnot? Was there a benefit to removing them and then adding them back in? Also, when you add them back in, how do they add that?
0: Yeah, so... The reason for adding it, the reason for taking it away initially would be twofold. One, subjectively, most people feel like white rice tastes better. They like the taste of white rice versus brown. Brown Brown definitely has... In most people's opinion, kind of a what they call like a nuttier taste. And, and some people don't like that at all. The other thing is it allows it to cook easier, right? So whenever we started wanting things to cook a lot faster, whenever we started trying to expedite everything, including the cooking process, stripping away some of those things generally meant that that rice is going to cook faster. So how could, I guess, I guess if if you go back to the original question, then is brown rice better than white? It would seem like based off of all of that, oh yeah, it's, I mean, how could you say that something that doesn't have the nutrients removed, that doesn't have the fiber removed, et cetera, is, isn't better than its counterpart because it's just not the full story, right? And what I mean by that, for example, is number one, like we just mentioned, and you just asked about a lot of those nutrients that are added back in, which is in the processing, when they're added back in, almost, and I, I am sure there's going to be a dietitian that sends me an email about this, they're almost comparative. So you could almost call that a moot point. However, it, what it doesn't add back in is the fiber component. But very rarely, with exception to maybe a few cultures in society, are people just sitting around eating gigantic bowls of white rice typically it's a part of a mixed meal. And what that means is, is there's typically some kind of protein involved with the meal, some kind of veggie involved with the meal, some sort of a fat involved with the meal, which those three things delay how fast we digest things. And the whole idea of the fiber coming from the brown rice is again, moot because you're getting fiber from the veggies. And so as long as you're getting a a variety of different types of fibers and a variety of different type of grain in the diet, whether you choose brown or white, or white is merely based on preference, the type of variety you're getting and then, of course, always the dose the portion size.
1: So removing those couple of things you talked about the different layers and whatnot removing them they don't add them back in by coating it necessarily is it just. It seems like you're removing them for a benefit it cooks better it tastes better. On and on, but doesn't adding them back in remove that, or is it how they're added back in?
0: So when I worked at when I was in college, I worked at a infant formula company where we would we would make infant products. You had to add nutrients into those infant meal products to get them up to the standard of what an infant needs. What we would do is is we would be in a lab, we would weigh how much of each vitamin, how much of each nutrient, etc went in this Infamil product or in this infant formula product. So in the same way, and it's hard to picture rice because rice isn't a powder, right? Like white or rice is a, it's a grain. So it's hard to envision this, but in the processing prior to being packaged, those nutrients are added back in, in the same fashion, whether it's in a lab or whether it's in a factory or whether it's in whatever they're added back in, in the processing process, and then put into the package. And so like what that takes out is B vitamins, iron, and, and, and a host of other nutrients. But when you look in there and you look at the package and ingredient package of white rice, you'll see it'll say white rice. And then it'll have a bunch of big words that most of us can't pronounce. Those are the vitamins that have been added back in.
1: I might not be eating this, but why not just leave it in there in the first place?
0: Because some people don't like the taste of brown rice and it doesn't cook as quick.
1: But if you're adding it back in, doesn't the taste go back? And it, then it cooks slower.
0: No, because even though you're taking out those the, the nutrients aren't aren't contributing to the taste of the product, right? It's the it's the nature of the brown rice that's that's in there. So you're not adding everything back in, but you are adding back in the nutrients, right? So you're adding back in the iron. You're adding back in. the some of the B vitamins. Those really don't have anything to do with with taste at all. In fact, if we were to if we were to mix uh you know a very small a, a small amount of both of those in a glass of water and give it to you, it's likely you might not even taste it depending on how how much how big how big of a portion it is. But they are added back in which you then absorb when you eat them and
1: so did all white rice once start off as brown rice. Yep. Why then do they taste different if what they're pulling out, iron, for example, is tasteless?
0: Because there's three parts to the grain, right? So again, there is an there's a layer called the germ, there's a layer called the endosperm, there's a layer called the bran. Not all of those are being added back in. Within those three parts are different nutrients. So they are not adding in all three of those layers back into the white rice. They're simply taking the nutrients that are found in those layers, adding those back in and the rest or the remaining parts from the three layers are not added back in, All right? Like so the, the, the bran is not added back in. That's why it's lower in fiber.
1: So something else that's been thrown around, again, I've heard it recently. I don't know if this has been thought of for a while or if it just finally hit the news, but um, many believe and or have been told that there is arsenic in unhealthy levels of arsenic in formula or rice-based products? I can think of baby rice cereal and a few other like kid foods that there's rice in, but um, is there truth in that?
0: Yes. So any rice you consume is going to have some level of arsenic, right? And these are not, contrary to like, contrary to what a lot of popular uh, blogs might say these aren't things that companies are going back in and adding if anything they're trying to get them as low as possible to pass the standard so they can put their product on the shelf so it doesn't matter if it's infant cereal it doesn't matter if it's it doesn't matter if it's the most expensive most organic brand of brown rice on the face of the planet all rices are going to contain some degree of arsenic. Now, there are rices, white being one, that will have lower levels of arsenic. But even in that conversation, like something that's important to remember is anything that we produce, even if you grow it yourself, that plant, that grain, that whatever is going to take on the properties of the soil it's grown in. There's a lot of really great things in the soil. There's also some things in the soil that are, could be toxic to us. So this isn't a matter of purchasing higher quality. This isn't a matter of purchasing more expensive. This isn't a matter of companies adding these things back in. These are just things that are a part of nature and can be in there. So like, I think another good example of this would be fish. Fish has some of the healthiest fats that we know to, for the brain, the heart and the body. Yet, there also is a potential really high risk of mercury poisoning if you eat too much of it. So again, it all goes back to that same conversation we always have about the dose always makes the poison. It depends on how much rice are you eating? How often are you eating it? What type are you eating? And I would venture to guess that not many people are getting close enough to the threshold. And it's also, I think, important to remember while I'm I'm talking about it. Companies like when, when I worked at that when I worked at that 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 infant formula plant, we have to test for this a lot. We test levels of this, and there are standards. If 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 your standard does not meet the national standard, there is zero way that it's going to be on on a on a shelf. So it's impossible to avoid, and there is a minimum and maximum threshold that we can be at. And if it's on a product shelf, it's likely within whatever that range is.
1: So when certain families or cultures or whatever, tend to eat more rice, is there a limit that you would say, you know, if you saw someone in the hospital, for example, you know, you might want to cut back on this. When do we start to need to be more aware of how much we're consuming?
0: I think everything is the same like we talk about with between optimal and practical. So yes, there are going to be some cultures where rice is not only a regular part of the diet, sometimes it's multiple times a day every day in the diet. So the risk for them would obviously be much higher. So, I think it's it's a matter of trying to talk about how can you mitigate or reduce that risk? Are there options within the rice family or grain family that you could like, for example, quinoa is less arsenic than rice is? Could you switch to that? having had had these conversations with people, most of them don't want to switch. But there are potential alternative options. But I think even then, you know, just realizing, is it a risk? Yes, but, risk does not necessarily mean you will absolutely get what we are afraid you'll get by having a high arsenic intake right like so for example the general recommendation for fish is like two portions of fish a week or less to reduce your chance of getting mercury poisoning if you eat four portions does that mean you're going to get it for sure no but your risk is higher so you know i think again you're balancing optimal versus practical meaning Yeah, two may be optimal, but does does four mean you're definitely going to get it? That isn't true either necessarily.
1: What is the general recommendation for rice? You said the one for fish. What would it be for
0: this? I don't know if there is a suggestion because of all the variables involved, right? So think about like sourcing. We know that different parts of the world will have different amounts and less arsenic in it. We know that you can cook it differently. So like if you cook it in six times the amount of water and pour off the water like you would pasta, you reduce arsenic. We know choosing white rice instead of brown rice reduces arsenic by 50%. So there's so many variables that I don't think you can just give a blanket statement. And in reality, you could say the same is true of fish. There are some fish that have way lower levels of mercury compared to another type of fish. So obviously you could get by with eating more of that than another. So just the, and that's, that's where the nutrition community airs is like just making a general statement that says no more than two per week. Well, there's a lot of variables in there.
1: So there are a few other foods that come to mind when I think about this theories that people have often stated, like you said, one is completely bad and one is completely healthy. Um, and you don't have to hit on all of these, but other theories or thoughts that I've heard have been that you know whole wheat is better than white bread, or sourdough is better than wheat bread. Even um, there's the idea about white and sweet potatoes and one seeming healthier than the other. So, is there ever a surefire way to tell which one is, if there is even one that is healthier?
0: Well. <laughs> I mean there is a surefire way, but that involves someone really digging into it. Like I mean, really doing a an analysis themselves comparing the two. And white and sweet potatoes are really a great example. So, you know, the idea the 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 history of this basically says Okay, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people come in the office and say things like my my doctor told me to swear off anything white, right? No white bread, no white rice, no white potatoes. All of them make you gain weight. That is the worst advice I've ever heard in my life. When you compare a white potato compared to a sweet potato from a from a weight loss standpoint alone, the white potato actually has fewer calories per ounce than the sweet potato the other interesting thing about white potatoes is when you when we've put people in a study we find that people who choose white potatoes compared to other starches tend to lose more weight and that can seem real mystical but here's one of the reasons why a white potato tends to be more filling compared to the same portion size of white rice, for example. So when people come, whenever they sit down to a portion or a calorie size, a calorie amount of potatoes and a calorie amount of rice, if both of them are the same, they feel more full. They get more food when they choose the potatoes. So they are able to keep their calories low without feeling hungry, which allows them to lose more weight. When you look at white potatoes compared to sweet potatoes, there's a different nutrient profile but both are great sources of carbohydrate. Both are nutrient rich vitamin C or potatoes are one of the richest sources of vitamin C as well as potassium. So they're actually great running fuel, great training fuel to eat a potato while or after your runs. And compared to sweet potatoes, you know, high in vitamin A, high in some other, some other nutrients, but relatively speaking when you talk only about health and you talk about weight loss they are kind of like brown and white rice and that they are for the most part the same
1: so while we're talking about i don't know if this is the right term but types of foods so there's you know brown rice white rice there's white potatoes sweet potatoes um what about types of bread some seem obvious but again i look for a bread full of all of these nuts and grains and that seems great but then we buy the most basic whole wheat bland bread there is. So I don't, I don't really know. Is there one there that is quote unquote healthier for you? Yeah,
0: that is, that is another good question. So it really depends on, it really depends on a person's overall goal, right? I mean, we have time and time again, talked about the main foundation of your choices are going to be driven by what your overall goal is, being weight loss, weight maintenance, or trying to increase your weight or put on weight for the sake of training or muscle mass or whatever. When you look at that entire bread aisle, there's a lot of things (laughs) going on, but strictly from a health standpoint, because typically when people are asking this question of, is it healthier, they want to know, is it going to help me lose weight manage and maintain my weight or make me gain weight solely from that perspective the only thing that matters in every one of those bags of bread is how many calories are there in each slice so you could buy the greatest highest quality bread with every square inch covered in nothing but nuts and seeds and whole grains that were sprouted from your grandmother's garden And if it has more calories than your basic slice of white bread from the generic grocery store you are far more likely to gain weight with that bread than you are with its white counterpart right and so that from the weight loss standpoint that is important to cover period it doesn't matter if it's white wheat sourdough your body's not like processing glucose different because it's sourdough and it's fermented versus whole wheat or regular wh- none of none of that is relevant. We're told it's relevant, but it's not when you look at what actual food chemistry and and scientific data says. From a nutrient density s- standpoint, like Hey, are there vitamins and minerals in here that are going to improve the quality of my life or are going to help me with regular bowel movements or are going to reduce my chance of chronic disease because whole grains significantly drives down the risk of several different chronic diseases, two of them being heart disease and colon cancer because of all of the fiber in there. In that instance, the wheat bread and even potentially the 900 grain seed bread would would absolutely trump a slice of white bread because there's no nutrients or fiber in that white bread compared to the counterparts that are full of whole grains, full of whole wheat, full of nuts, full of seeds, etc.
1: So when everybody and their mom literally got on the make your own sourdough bread during COVID pandemic, is there something to that? I don't know if it's because it's made in the home, it seems healthier or because it's a different type of bread. Is there something about the the sourdough other than it's really good with soup that is better for you?
0: I'm going to be real PC here because <laughs> I know we know some folks. Uh, no, it's not. I mean, you know, there's like, this is, this is, if this is a complete rabbit trail, but yeah, there's some intrinsic value from sitting down to a meal that, you know, you've prepared yourself and you've made. And like, there, there's just a value with that, that you can't get from buying a loaf of bread. I mean, it's the reason why we, you know, like to go hunt in the fall or fish or whatever. Like you just make something with that. And there's no feeling like that in the planet, but from a health standpoint, if you sit down to an ounce of sourdough bread and you sit down to an ounce of, you know, bread that you've purchased at the grocery store that's generic and they're, they're matched calorie for calorie, your body's not looking at either of those in any significant difference just because one had a sourdough starter and it didn't, which by the way, most sourdough is white bread. (laughs) But for some reason, we process it, meaning in our minds, mentally and emotionally, we look at sourdough and we think this is somehow like the the same people that will praise the roof off of sourdough bread will condemn a package of generic white bread until their grave. And there literally is zero reason for that.
1: So what is it in or not in sourdough bread that kind of that stems from because there's usually a little bit of a truth or some sort of fact that makes people think oh well that you know that makes sense to me why that'd be a better option
0: the typical belief is that because sourdough bread is made with a fermented yeast that the yeast or the yeast in that sourdough bread which by the way even white bread has yeast in it (laughs) But the sourdough, the, the, the thing that makes it the, the sourdough feeds on the sugars or the carbohydrates in that bread, which reduces the glucose response in your blood, which is a fancy way of saying they think that that sourdough starter is feeding on the carbohydrate in the bread. So you're not going to get as big of a blood sugar spike when you eat it as you would compared to maybe another slice of like of of non-sourdough
1: is that true
0: no (laughs) i mean there, there are so there are there are a lot of factors involved when you ask questions like this and when you look at an actual study and without completely going down that rabbit trail this is what makes nutrition really hard to study compared to other things because if you take this scenario alone and you have one study who says oh no you know there was no difference at all but then you have another study who says oh there was a significant difference but the the type of meals consumed at different uh, in each of those studies can can affect what the blood sugar does right so there's just there's so many factors where you could compare but when you look at when when you when you know human metabolism and when you look at physiology and you look at what happens in the blood and how the body responds to the presence of carbohydrate, there is it responds in a way that couldn't be affected by something like sourdough or non.
1: So when you said that the sourdough feeds on carbohydrates, are people maybe picturing, I don't know, like I picture the little Pac Man guy like in in the starter eating that and it's turning in and remo- turning it into something else or removing it from from the starter is that what they're thinking is happening that it's turning into something else
0: I don't know <laughs> I mean you would have to ask you would have to ask them I I would assume I would I would assume that that is what it they're thinking and I think maybe a good relevant comparison that maybe other people like listeners are familiar with would be there were some very popular supplements put out not too long ago that if you consume this within 30 minutes of your meal, your body will not respond, it w- will not absorb the carbohydrate that you consume at that meal. And therefore, this this pill, this supplement will help you lose weight since you're not absorbing those carbohydrates. That's simp- that is not true. And what what that was and why I know that is because what was in there was fiber, Now, fiber is undigestible, but it still yields calories. And what it doesn't do is block the entirety of the meal you just consumed. So people would try this. They would see very little progress, if any, and wonder what happened. And that's simply because what they're reporting is not the way that it works.
1: So with the supplement that you referred to being, can we say a fiber pill? Would that be fair? Okay, so a fiber pill. Does fiber make it to where your body cannot digest carbs or absorb, I should say absorb carbs? No.
0: So really two things come to mind when you ask that. Number one, the presence of fiber does delay how fast the gut will empty, right? So Meaning if you eat a meal, and this goes back to the white and the brown rice conversation, if you eat a bowl of white rice and you also are eating veggies, like let's say a stir fry, your blood sugar response is not going to be as high as you were just consuming white rice alone. That's because the presence of fiber delays how fast that rice is moving through you. So the blood sugar doesn't spike as much, if that makes sense. So even though it de- even though it delays the gastric emptying, even though it delays how fast food moves through your gut, it does not prevent you from getting the calories you consume. Those calories get emptied through the stomach, they move through the small intestines where the body is absorbing almost all of the calories if they are in there. There's not going to be anything blocked per se. Second to that would be this idea that's come out recently where we're counting net grams of carbohydrate as opposed to actual grams and the thinking behind that is if you have let's just say 10 grams of total carbohydrate in a product five grams of fiber fiber's indigestible that means that you have five grams of fiber remaining and they'll only count the calories in the product from those five grams but that simply isn't the way that it works. And like, if you really want to get nerdy, there's four calories per gram of carbohydrate. People don't count fiber when in reality there's closer to three plus. So you're still getting calories in spite of that. I think another really relevant part of this conversation is clarifying the terms simple and complex carbohydrates. Because what people tend to do, what we tend to do is we tend to take things like white rice, white bread, white potatoes, some of these other foods, and we call them, they're simple carbs. We shouldn't be eating simple carbohydrates. And they're not, they're complex, right? The the naming of simple versus complex has to do with the chemical structure of a food of a carbohydrate. All right. And so simple carbs are things that are digested very easily. They're made up of small sugar chains. The complex are much longer. So even though white rice, white bread may be a refined carbohydrate, it still is complex and it still digests slower than a snickers bar or honey or other things that we would think of as like candy right so it is not parallel with candy in fact since it is a longer chain carbohydrate since it is a complex carbohydrate things like white potatoes white rice um, white bread etc can be excellent fuel while training or to prepare for training or to recover from training because it delivers fuel slowly over time because that chain is longer versus one quick shot and then done like gummy bears. So there's appropriate times for each type of carbohydrate. And there's a difference between a refined and an unrefined carbohydrate.
1: How This might be a whole nother question for another Friday. How long does a food and therefore, the nutrients in the food need to be in the body before they're absorbed into the body.
0: That is also going to depend on what all is in the meal, right? So here's here's like a prime example. If you were to drink, and this may really challenge some people, if you were to drink a whey protein shake, right? A protein powder that you buy at Walmart. It's called whey protein. It's very popular among most people. Your blood sugar response to that whey protein by itself is similar to eating a slice of white bread, right? And so most people think, oh, you eat a slice of white bread, your blood sugar spikes, you might as well call the doctor, get into the endocrinologist because you're a diabetic. Well, whey protein spikes similarly, yet we never bat an eye at that. Now, if you were to drink that same whey protein drink with a slice of whole wheat toast that had butter on it, in other words, you're adding fiber, you're adding butter which is a fat, both of those things delay gastric emptying. They delay how long food sits in your stomach Um, or they, they sit in your stomach longer. The blood sugar response is not as high and it takes longer to move through. So rather than it being an hour with the protein drink alone, it could be three or four. For the most part, most mixed meals, meaning most meals that are not just some single random ingredient, are taking from the time we consume them, processing the energy, moving through our system, roughly about six hours.
1: I know it's not healthy to have high blood sugar overall, let's just say. Are small spikes bad? I mean, I, I would guess that that happens, like when you're know when you not feeling well and it's like, oh, you have low blood sugar, why don't you have something to eat? Like, you need to eat. <laughs> Doesn't that naturally happen a little bit? At what point does it become a concern when your blood sugar spikes?
0: That is an excellent question. And like if, if you listened to a couple episodes ago when Mark and I were talking about fueling around workouts, the very the very thing that causes the muscle to grow and that pushes nutrients into the muscle for growth is an insulin spike in response to your blood sugar going high. That helps grow the muscle and it helps mitigate or stop muscle breakdown. So yeah, there are definitely scenarios where a spike in blood sugar isn't not a bad thing. And regardless again of the, the highest quality food that you buy on the face of the planet, anytime you consume food, it's likely your blood sugar is going to rise to some degree it has to there's a threshold that has to be maintained for you to remain conscious even if you don't consume carbohydrate there are components of fat and there are components of protein that can cause your blood sugar to go up after a meal so it's it's unavoidable and so we may as well just call that out and and let it be what it is when it becomes a problem is whenever you're consuming foods and not active to the point of where that threshold becomes your norm. So whenever that blood sugar spike doesn't fall back down to normal ranges and spend most of its time there, it's not so much the spikes that are bad, it it is remaining high for long periods of time because of inactivity and a diet that is highly focused on only carbohydrates that's whenever it becomes a problem. And that typically is what, what, what leads to things like, you know, like pre diabetes, then turning into diabetes, which perpetuates a lot of other chronic diseases. So yeah, that is a wrap on this Friday FAQ. It was good having you back. I have to tell you that there have been, I've gotten a lot of comments on people that they like having you (laughs) even more than me. (laughs) <laughs> so even
1: more than you like having me or even more than they like having you
0: no even more than like nobody ever says anything about me which is fine they always comment when when they comment on the podcast they are usually very very kind and saying oh it's a great podcast i love your wife i love having your wife on there your <laughs> wife has such good questions she's always asking what i want to know so yeah I'm, it's it's uh good to have you back
1: glad i can help
0: all right, so that is a wrap for this Friday FAQ. Join us again uh, in the future. We got a lot more episodes to cover. If you got any questions about something that you heard on here, you're welcome to email me at info at v2pnutrition.com. If you got a question um, that we haven't covered that you would like to have covered, you can email that to us. If you would like this or share it with a friend, that would be awesome. We would appreciate it. And we will be back again in a couple of weeks with a new episode.